The Dark Art Society podcast covers a variety of important and contemporary issues, including dark art as well as other kinds of art, literature, film, music, also culture, philosophy, dreams, paranormal experiences, magic, and a whole lot more than that. I'm Mike Carell, director of Chet's Art, I Like to Paint Monsters, and you are listening to the Dark Art Society podcast, hosted by renowned artist Chet Zar. What's up, Chet? How are you? I'm pretty good. Sorry I was so late. It's okay. Been... I was late. I, I, I bailed on you yesterday, so what's the difference, right? That's true. I waited on I mean, I guess day I didn't really bail on you, but by the time that I was ready, <laughs> you were in your painting mode. That's right. So. That's right. It, it all worked out. I, I got uh, I got almost a whole painting done in one sitting, which is really cool. <laughs> is that that uh, the Twin Peaks group show one that you showed me? Yeah, yeah. That's so cool, man. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I haven't it's, posted. I, you haven't showed anything, yeah? I, was I know because it's such a weird painting. I want to wait till it's finished. You know, it's totally it's different, right? Yeah, it's. It, I, I'll just say for you guys that haven't seen it yet, and by the time that this comes out, it'll probably be out, and you will you'll see it, right? <laughs> right. But you know, you, you'll hear this and you'll see it. But it's so cool. It's like one of the coolest things I've seen him do in a long time. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it because <laughs> you just need to see it. It's really it, weird. it really is. Like he sh- he sent it to me, and I was like. Wow. Okay. Because, you know, I see so much of his stuff that after a while, it's kind of like, uh-huh, another Chetzar painting, you know? But this one, it really, I was like, whoa, okay, that's fucking awesome. That's That one hit me. That was like a sucker punch. Oh, thanks. That got, got me on all levels. But you can see why I wouldn't want to show it early, because it's so strange. Yeah. It has to be done in order to see you go, okay, because it's hard to kind of hard to see what's going on unless it's all finished, but... that that This will come out before the uh, the show, so I will promote it actually now that we're talking about it real quick it's at um the bearded ladies mystic museum in burbank california i'm not sure what the date is uh but it is an x files slash twin peaks group show themed group show that's an interesting synergy sorry i got the ac on i can't even hear it that's an interesting synergy (laughs) yeah it was weird bringing those two together yeah yeah they're the ones I did that Twilight Zone painting for. Uh, um, so anyway, it's uh, uh, yeah. It, I'll probably have shown it by then because I think I'll finish it today. But anyway, I was shipping. That's why I was so late. I was shipping and shipping and boxing Kickstarter rewards for Dystopia, which is what we're going to talk about today. The, right, right. The Dystopia concept. Right. Well, and and this shipping push is is kind of long overdue, but uh, it's really nice that we're getting this stuff out because we we made the decision that we really want to give this book the amount of time it needs to really come out right, as we've talked about in a lot of these other episodes. You know, the the art is the god, and we are worshiping it. So <laughs> we're going to do that book right. But what that means then is that in in a lot of instances, people were going to have to wait a long time to get the book, the field guide, which we'll talk about today. Yeah, we should um, explain what dystopia even is for sure, people who sure. don't know. But then, they, but for other people that are listening to this that are part of the Kickstarter, they're like, oh, yeah, talk about it. But I'll just I'll just say that you know we we finally decided we're we're just going to go ahead go ahead and ship the book separately and ship all the other rewards like physical items, t-shirts and sculptures and frames and paintings and all of that stuff in advance. And so people are getting that stuff now. I think you shipped what, like 30, 30 or 40 shipments mm-hmm. last week, mm-hmm. every yeah. week basically until they're all out now. So we're, we're excited to finalize that and really get back to those people that put all that money down to help us create the thing we're going to again, talk about today. Yes. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. It's, it's really nice to get those out. Oh my God. What a, what a, 
stressor that is. It's like a, a horrible load on our shoulders. But um, I'm ha- it's really uh, gratifying to get them out finally. You know, I, these. Yeah, it's a long story. But anyway, let's talk about dystopia. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about dystopia. What is dy- so, dystopia? Yeah, what is dystopia, Chad? How did we, I mean, the word came after the idea. So we almost have to go back before the word dystopia, really. Well, I think the earliest I can think of – basically, a quick overview. Dystopia is the world – it's the, the name of the world that I have been painting for the last 17 years, I guess. I started around 2000. Um. It is that dimension. Dystopia is that world. Because I've, you know, it's, the. Let, let me go back. I'll go back to the beginning. The, uh, the earliest I can remember talking to it is with um, Christopher Ulrich. And uh, just the idea of mythology, just the idea that there's so many characters in my paintings. And he, uh, he suggested that I mythologize them. Um. And it's, it, I mean, it's around the same time we were talking about it as well. But I think I, th- I remember at the uh, that, that uh, I forgot the name of that place where he painted the walls. That amazing place where we had the oh right, that is the Rathskeller Rathskeller yeah. in uh, in uh, Pasadena. It's really amazing. He did murals all over the walls. He's an amazing artist. We'll have him on here. He's he's like we said before. He's got technical issues right now, but he he's kind of you know he's sort of like an unsung hero of the Dystopia Project as well as the Dark Art Society. He's kind of been um, along since the beginning and been really uh, encouraging uh, for us doing this and and offering a lot of ideas and advice and stuff. So I can't wait to have him on. But I remember him talking to me about mythology. It might have been that time. Was that the first time you met him? We had we were already uh, well into dystopia when we met for the first time. Okay, because that was right before the road trip you were going to take out to right. my place. So okay. we had already done the first Kickstarter. Anyway, anyway, he he was saying that that there's so many characters and 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 they're like, oh no, this is a Zello. That's what it was. <laughs> my pizza joint, uh, the amazing Zello. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> he 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 was suggesting, you know. I think making a movie or something or mythologizing the characters in some way, but also throughout the years I've heard and you especially too, um, have, do you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk. Is that, is that dog? Get in and go, um, I should let him in. Sorry. Hold on a second. He's going to let Doc in because Doc's going to wind at the door. Doc is part of the Dark Art Society podcast, so he has to be in here with us. <laughs> okay. Otherwise, we'd hear that throughout the well, whole podcast. Well, with him, I should say, because I'm in a, a totally different state. That's a good boy. <laughs> okay. So, uh, but throughout the well, year... i Tula back here. Oh, good. See her, see her back there behind me? Uh-uh. That's Tula curled up in a little ball right back there. I can't see it. She, just her back is right there she's on off, the she's floor. Off That's like, there's me. like a dog bed. No, I can oh, see oh. her. The, see her in the in my own frame there we go she's like she's like right down there in the corner all curled up <laughs> so cute okay okay sorry. anyway so so you were you were talking about how christopher ulrich had talked to you about it and also how i had discussed with you this notion that you were painting something that was more than just some abstract uh creation of your own device but maybe that you were channeling something or a place right. some, uh, of some sort and, and throughout the years people have told me that they all seem like these characters all seem like they could live in the same universe and you know i 
I have uh, never intentionally done that with the paintings. The paintings always, for me, and I've said this before on, on here, I believe, that they're always come from this place of total in, intu- intuitiveness, intuition. Um, I usually don't have an idea of what I'm going to do. I just start sketching to get the ideas out. And <clears throat> But there has been a... I try to, you know, I try to keep, I try to develop the style I had, painting style, into a consistent that uh, style that works across a whole body of work, which is, you know, what artists do, I think, or what artists should do, is have kind of maintain a consistent style f- for whatever medium they're doing. Um, so it just developed into this thing to where all these, I was painting mostly portraits and these characters, and they seemed like all of them could be from the same place and so between that and and christopher ulrich and you especially talking about how you've seen this place you know i started thinking about the, the what the world was like where they live and well that's part of it i think too that people reflect on your paintings isn't just that all these beings look like they could be from the some, same place but that in fact the landscapes and the snapshots, those little bits and pieces we get of the background, they beg that there is some kind of cohesiveness that's beyond just the character in the foreground. When we're allowed that view, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I've, I'm not, a, I'm a big um, proponent of using reference for uh, for artists using reference. Like, there's a there's a weird thing about you shouldn't use reference. You should use reference. I think reference is very important. And my dad was a total reference guy. He used only reference he he never just drew from his head or not very often and um that's kind of an illustration-y thing but uh i almost never use reference just because i i i use reference when i feel i need it if there's a hand in, in a weird angle or something I, I i'm not sure how to draw it then i'll use reference but for the backgrounds and stuff i <clears throat> i've used reference but it's within the context of ideas I already have when I just kind of throw them in there with a sketch. If it looks like mountainous, I might get some mountain reference. But anyway, b- point being is that most of everything from in my paintings are just straight out of my head. So I think that lends itself to creating its own universe. You know what I mean? Because yeah, I'm, yeah because for I'm, sure. Because I'm not using a whole bunch of different references from places in this world. You know, it's some, but not much. But um, – so I guess that's part of the reason it all kind of well it's kind of the difference between like a, a journalistic writer and a fictional writer you know the right. journalist is utilizing things that exist and, and packaging them in such a way as to tell a story whereas a fictional writer is taking whatever's in their head and channeling that in such a way as to tell some kind of a story right right but it's a weird mix of the two it's strange it's strange you know I I, I still feel oh weird about thinking that it is a place like i don't feel that way i just don't even feel i mean i i do but i don't it's just bizarre it's it's totally different for me because i'm painting them i have a different relationship to the artwork than anybody i think because i'm making this stuff so it's really hard for me but you have always you know you right away were like this is a place whoa sorry um yeah that was baby girl um And I guess that's that's what really got things going when you and I started talking about um, developing the idea and mythologizing the universe and maybe 
you know, the ultimate goal of having a movie or a Netflix TV show. Well, I think that's part of it for you is that it's, you know, you get excited about things that, that, that stir your creative juices. And so even if you don't really aren't able to buy the whole package and say, yeah, it's a real place, the excitement over just the idea of creating this, you know, uh, yeah. some kind of a congealing, uh, you know, mythologized structure by which to interface with this place, that's exciting to you because that stirs that creative pot. So I think that's a big element of it for you, just from my own reflections, you know, of why you're interested in doing it yeah yeah absolutely but also i i don't think that places in your imagination i i do think that places in everybody's imaginations might actually be real or the difference between reality and your imagination is a lot closer than we think you know what i mean it's like if we're thinking i mean yeah yeah so that's where it gets fuzzy for me. It's like hard to say what's real and what's not when nothing is real, really. Right. <laughs> you know right. I mean? Because right now it's like, I'm, you know, same thing that you're doing. We're interfacing with this world around us via our perception, you know, are the, the sensory details that are coming in through our senses. And then we're interpreting them in our brains. So, you know, when you're dreaming or when you're in an altered state of consciousness or when you're doing something artistic, you know, if you're not seeing this world, you're seeing another world. Who's to say that that isn't just as real as what you're seeing around you? Because again, it's all based on your perception, right? You know, so how can you know? It's it, again, it seems like oh well, this world is so physical and hard and, and not malleable in the way that you know uh, maybe a parallel world is that you're experiencing through some altered state of consciousness. But again, when it comes down to it's how, what you're perceiving, because whatever we perceive is is right. what is, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, you don't, regardless of whether you buy into the idea that it's a real place or not a real place, it's still a fun project for everyone. I think, I think you can enjoy it from a, from either standpoint, really. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and we are approaching it like it's a real place. Um, well, that's the, I think the thing that got you really kicked off on wanting to do it because even a year before we did the Kickstarter in 2015, when we were doing the film festival circuit, the film was going to be at the Albuquerque film and music experience. And so you came out and we did, you did a show. They had your like art paint in the gallery. Yeah. For Chet, sorry, I like to paint monsters. And <laughs> That was the show where you came back here and we did our first kind of cogitation on dystopia. Right. And we talked all about it all the way up here. We're listening to Boards of Canada and talking all about – those were those initial ideas that right. you were like – you know, that was when we were really getting excited about it. We spent that four days really working on it and I think what just developed in there was that – We would look at a painting together and I would ask you, well, what's outside the frame? What kind of clothes are they wearing or what does their body look like? Uh, You know, what is there anything around them? And the minute I started asking those questions, you were shocked to find that there was all this information that you've never thought about that, you know, exists outside that frame. So that was like your verification. That was the point where you were like, fuck it. I'm going for it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That's what that was the clincher for me. It's like, hey, I, I do know about this world. And I do, and I don't. And some things I have no idea about. Other things I'm like absolutely sure. And so the way we decided to, uh, let me backtrack a little bit. Um, sure. We decided to go with a book because I felt like a book would be what it be. It would be like a bible. And uh, in the film industry, ex- ex- yeah, I was going to say explain that for yeah, the people call, that don't they, know what that means. They call them style guides or bibles when you work on a film, and they will have. All the characters in the movie drawn out, front side view, you know, especially if it's a kind of genre film, um, costumes, 
what the art direction is going to look like, what the landscapes are going to look like. Basically, dystop- the dystopia book that we're doing is kind of that idea. So, because um, I felt like uh, if this was going to get made into a film or a TV show, which is really my ultimate dream, and I think yours also. Um, yeah, you can. You know, I could go to a Guillermo del Toro or someone and say, "Hey, I got this great idea," but if I go there with a book. It's going to increase the chances that someone's going to be able to see the vision, and and um, especially because I think my stuff is it's painted real enough to where you can really imagine how it would be in a um, in a, a film type setting, a live action setting. So uh, I think you could take it to any executive or whatever, and or any person and say, "Hey, imagine this moving and in you know live action. This would be amazing." So uh, the other. Uh, starting point, I guess, was the uh, Barlow's Guide to Extraterrestrials. Hey, Mike's holding that up. There it is. And that was such a huge, influential book on me as a kid, probably around 12 years old. Um, but it's it's by Wayne Barlow, and it basically is take takes it's taking all these aliens from classic sci-fi stories and movies, I believe, and some he made up, and basically just presenting them like a national geographic travel book, you know, and that's not such an uncommon idea. Now, lots of people I think have done it since, but this was in what year is that book? It's like in the seventies. Yeah, it's gotta be seventies or early eighties. Maybe I'm going to look here in the beginning. You guys will probably hear some pages. Yeah. 1979. Yeah. And Barlow, Wayne Barlow, who's an amazing artist, fine artist and conceptual artist. I worked with him on the Hellboy films and, maybe some other things, but he's super, super cool guy, super amazing illustrator and artist. Um, and he was like 19 when he did that. Cause I, when I worked with him at Hellboy, I'm like, he doesn't really look that much older than me, you know? So, you know, I was probably what, what year? 70, 1979. So I was 12 years old. Yeah. Cause I was born in 67. So there you go. So, yeah. so he must be seven years older than me. Yeah. Cause you're, cause you're 12 years older than me. Yeah, I was born the year this book came out. Yeah, guys, it's really cool. It's like it has a picture of the thing, and then it says like physical characteristics, habitat, culture, sources, and then that's like where it's from, like the White Mountains, the City of Gold, or whatever. Yeah, it's really cool. And then like blowups of like you know the skin texture on creatures. It's really yeah, neat. yeah, yeah. It's great. So that was such a huge inspiration for me as a kid and my artistic development, especially my desire, I think, to create creatures and monsters and stuff. So I thought that's, you know, it'd be great to use that as an inspiration. And I even talked to him about it and let, you know, kind of got his blessing on it. He was totally into it. And he's going to write the forward or afterward, or he's going to write some kind of thing in the book, which is amazing. So we can pay tribute to the man. And um, so that was the idea. We'd have some kind of Bible to present if we go that direction, because we might just make our own movie or a, a web series or something by kickstarting it so that we don't have any, you know, corporate yeah. Yeah. shit. But uh, if we could raise enough money, we could maybe do it ourselves. But it's it's completely up in the air. So <clears throat> at this point, we just need to get this book done because the book is going to be the, the foundation. So um, I, I think so once we started, I think I think the the biggest part is what we talked about, which is where you would basically interview me about the paintings. And then I would tell you what I absolutely knew. And it's so weird knowing about the, the characters having that knowing that I've never thought about, I've never verbalized because I just paint my paintings. And when they look right to me, 
they're done and that's it. And I'm on, on to the next one. So to have all this background knowledge is really weird. It's very similar to my synesthesia. You know, it's because the synesthesia thing. It's a knowing, yeah. Yeah, the synesthesia, I, I didn't realize I had it until I was in my 30s when I thought, hey, I, uh, you know, I guess I thought everybody, I thought names had flavors to everybody. But, you know, it turns out I was researching this the other day and it turns out that um, I have, what is it called? Gastrolexical or gastrolexical synesthesia or something. Of course, there's a name for it. (laughs) Now, when I was researching it in my 30s, there was hardly anything on the internet. And now there's all kinds of uh, info, but um, it's like 0.2% of the population has this type of completely useless synesthesia. It's hilarious. <laughs> useless. I don't think it's useless. I think that <laughs> what funny. it is is it's goofy. It, it, but it, it's not useless. Jesus it's just tastes that, like Cheetos. <laughs> <laughs> terror, terror, this, the word terrorist tastes like nacho cheese Doritos. What I'm what I'm saying is this. <laughs> I'm just saying that it's not useless. It's just that under the current paradigm of the world that we live in, it is seemingly useless yeah. because you can't find a way to apply it but under different circumstances who knows maybe it could be quite useful and it's i'm sure it's related to the artwork post-apocalyptic thing that occurs and the world does turn into dystopia maybe you're gonna need that fucking skill (laughs) maybe but you know at this point it's just a kind of a goofy party trick but it's 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 hilarious (laughs) i i do think it relates to creating artwork though and knowing when something looks right because it's you know my artwork is for me, it's to me, it's like when it feels done, it's done. When it feels right, it's right. When something doesn't feel right, it's not right, and et cetera, et cetera. But, um, but that's kind of how it was too with that with the interviewing thing that we did because what we decided to do is say, okay, well, there's for sures and then there's maybes, and right. we didn't want to fuck around with the maybes. So we 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 I, I had you tell me the maybes, right? But I I. I actually organized it in such a manner as to know that they were maybes because, and then we revisited them. But anything that was a maybe went out, even things that weren't totally maybes, but that they didn't have a representation in your artwork because the whole idea was that we were evidencing, like anthropologists, the evidence of dystopia through your paintings. So we were looking at the paintings and saying, hey, these are, here's, here's what we see. What does that tell us about this place? And so again, that's a very different approach. Can you give, maybe you could give an example of a for sure and a maybe that can you think? Yeah. Yeah. I can. Uh, so one of the, well, this is, this one rides the line. So, uh, there's like, this you I don't know if you even want me to go into it or not. I guess it's kind of inconsequential, but Chet realized there's this substance called black butter, and I won't go into it more than that. But he there there is this stuff called black butter. That's a slang term for it because everything there we found don't really have formal names. So he's like the slang term for this black butter stuff, and I'll let you elaborate if you want to. But it's kind of right on the. It, it ended up being a maybe because ultimately there is I, no painting and I have that evidence paint, yeah. that that stuff exists. <laughs> So it was like either you paint it, which means you're forcing yourself into a corner to try to do this thing in order to serve an idea that came up with without having the evidence of the pre-existing painting to bring right. it all the way around. And so you, we said, okay, well, we're just not going to involve that. We're not going to use it. We know it exists. It's a thing, but we don't know enough about it to actually include it in a field guide. Ultimately. Right, right. Yeah, the paintings were the ultimate ev- evidence. It was like if it's been in a painting, it's real. And so – Anything that was – it's because it's hard to – because I didn't want either of us putting too much of our own ideas in. Yeah. You know, I wanted it to but be – we both wanted to be real and pure. And so the only way to do that was to use these paintings as – 
this separate uh, artifact to 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 work from. Wait, uh, Doc was snoring. Sound um, like he was snoring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so just to be safe, because it's like we want to get this thing right. I don't want to you know have to backtrack in the second volume and say, oh, black butter was actually. That uh, turns out uh, it's not really. <laughs> it's so that, but but. Give me. Let's hear an example of uh, a for sure thing. A for sure thing. Yeah, one thing that was like absolutely, we did it, and you were like, and I was like, definitely. Okay, so one of the things for sure is that we know that there is some kind of uh, uh, a crater, and there are these uh, smokestacks, and what's coming out of those smokestacks in the crater is the haunting, and and again, that's something that we def you were for sure on. Mm-hmm. It's coming from another place that we, you know. I won't go into terminology because we're still tweaking terminology, but it's coming from a separate place into this world of dystopia through smokestacks, and it is this haunting, and that's a for sure, and it's right. in there. It's like a spiritual poisoning kind of. I think is how it can be described. And yeah, that's a good way. Things like uh, uh, Black Magic's gun, Black Magic being the anti-hero, even though we're not even at the point of a storyline, although a storyline for uh, future projects like the comic book or the movie or the TV show is developing alongside the, the dystopia books, since the dystopia books, this, you know, like you said, this archaeological thing field guide um and we're just sort of making notes of the of the storyline because there is there's stories to be told within this realm you know but the but the dystopia book is not a storybook it's it's a it's a field guide so you know who the characters are and yeah and it's, and it's like. broken down in that way too i mean it's narrative so like we want it to be enjoyable to read but at the same time right. it really is like it's made to be able to interface with, to gather information, to be able to look and say, oh, okay, this is what type of creature this is. And it's in this particular class and it lives in this particular territory in this particular mm-hmm. region. And it interacts in this particular manner with interlopers or whatever. Right. And that's how it's written. And so it has kind of like a, I don't know, almost a, 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 a scholastic edge kind, mm, kind of journalistic, it, I would you know, say. I think journalistic is, is a good way to describe it in a way too. Uh-huh. And, you know, one thing I should mention that I had a little bit of an issue um, getting over in order to do this, which I obviously eventually decided that it's worth the risk of this happening. And that was, do I want to take away from the mystery of the paintings? You know, because right, right. that is to me one of the coolest things about the things I like about the artwork is that sense of mystery. And um, so by by giving more information about the artwork there, you, I am going to lose that aspect of it, but I figure, you know, people are totally into the paintings and they don't want to know, they don't have to read the book. It's like, you know, or they could read it and they can just disregard the information. That's your spin on your own art. Whereas if it speaks to them on a personal level, that can still remain and, and exist and be a real thing for them. Right. Right. And I, I felt like, you know, ultimately it's if, – if that's what it takes to move the project forward into the dream project, which is, you know, live action movie or whatever, um, it's, it's worth losing that to gain this other bigger thing. So I ultimately – even if, you know, taking the chance of doing that. So I think it's and, – and, and once um, I decided that it's cool, that I, f- I feel good about it now. I feel like it's, it's the next step. 
in the whole yeah, process. Yeah. You know, I could just keep painting a bunch of mysterious, weird paintings for the rest of my life, but this to me is, feels like uh, forward movement and, and widening the whole project and creating a bigger thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, I think it's inevitable too, you know, I mean, again, it's almost like you've been serving dystopia without even knowing it all along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, true. a couple other little fun things that people won't know about that I, I we've, you know, we've already publicized ultimately through the, uh, through the Kickstarters and through the solo show, which we'll, we'll get to here. You know, the, the mass, the, the dominant uh, type of being that exists, this a class of being is creeple. It's like, you know, C-R-E-E-P-L-E, creeple. And, that, and that's, again, that was a for sure. Chet was like, they're called creeple. That's what they are. They're the creeple, you <laughs> know. The common, common folk. Yeah, and so that, that's a for sure. And that was one where you just had no question about it. Same right. thing with no men, you know, with the right. no men. Yeah, yeah. And you want to tell them a little bit about the no men? Yeah, well, those guys are um, shadow people in this world. You know, you, you there's the – yeah, in our world, the 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 um, the Hat Man. If you've read up on Shadow People, there's the Hat Man, who you know, a shadowy figure that appears to people when they are under sleep paralysis or going or having an out of body experience. They 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 appear as black shapes or guys with you know long coats and and black hats, uh, kind of fedora type hats or top hats. So um, that was based on uh, the idea of the the No Man. Which I think you came up with the name, I think, for No Men. No, no Men? Yeah. You, I did because it was based off of No Man's Land. Oh, right, right. And Which that was the Binky they... thing that you and, I, you and he talked about. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, uh, the, the, ba the basic idea of uh, the No Men came from this show I did in 2000 and whatever. I don't have no idea. 2000. Eight. Honestly, that was eight. Yeah. yeah, and it was called "We Are the Shadows," and that was the idea that <clears throat> I was going to paint shadow people, but paint how they really look. And so uh, I painted them not as black shapes, but as physical forms. And I imagined that they are all like these kind of gangsters, like '40s gangsters, Al Capone type dudes, and you know they're evil and um, are pretty bad and. Uh, uh, so that was the concept for the show. It was basically portraits of all these gangster shadow people. And th that clearly fits in with the dystopia lexicon, you know, obviously. And it was just a matter of finding out, figuring out more about them. But the, the We Are the Shadows name came from a, a uh, it was a mushroom trip or an acid trip I had. It was a mild one. Uh -huh. um, I took on my own and I felt the presence of two figures standing next to me. I couldn't see them, but I felt that they were there. And I said, who are you in my mind? And they said, we are the shadows. You are fear brought to light. And that's all they said to me. And uh, I just remembered that we are the shadows is so cool. <laughs> it's the coolest <laughs> title. So that all kind of came together when I had that idea for that show. So um, anyway, the, the no men are these kind of gangster dudes, and 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 they just to give a little bit away, they they can pass between the worlds. So that's when they come over here. You're seeing the no men from Dystopia. That's our idea. Well, and I and and I think it's again 
it's evidenced, you know, by not only the paintings, but what you know about what we don't see in the paintings again. Right. Yeah, I'm actually, I just looked up chetzar.com here. Uh, if you go to chetzar.com, you can look through all the different years of his paintings. So it was 2008. Up to 2014, because I'm we, way behind. On well, it. yeah, he's behind <laughs> on it. But but this I'm noticing, so we have We Are the Shadows, The Lookout, Consulting the Oracle, The Shepherd. Um, the, so if you guys are interested in taking you know a closer look, you can head over there and you can look at these, enlarge these thumbnails and actually see these whole paintings. They're pretty amazing. Also, one I jackfalled uh, fell into that particular year, which is interesting because from we that discovered show, it's from that show, right? Right. Yeah. And 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 what's interesting is is that you know one I jack in the book is basically kind of like a henchman, you mm-hmm. know, that works with the no men. So right, he's not quite a shadow person, but he's one of their. He's a henchman for them. But he, he yeah. kind of is, but he's a little different looking. There's still more to know about him, but he doesn't talk, and he is a, a badass. Yeah, what he it's pretty cool once you get to actually read the field guide. I mean, that's one of the things I'm like I'm all geek fanned out about because I get to know all the stuff, you know. And so it's like I know exactly what that what one eye jack does, and it's really gnarly. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like I'm not going to tell you, but it's really it's so cool, and it's funny because when I'll ask Chad about it, and sometimes he'll even be embarrassed. Like at something that like, cause I think I can't remember which one it was either hard eater or taboo, but like I think it was taboo. And he started telling me about what it does to its, its prey. And he was like, got real nervous and like was uncomfortable talking about it because <laughs> it was like pretty gnarly but and you're not that like gory gross kind of guy right. you're not into that you're more into the mystery you know but i kept kind of pushing you and pushing you and pushing you on it so you're like fine well this is what it really does and then he just like <laughs> explained the whole thing and it's hardcore you know it's, and he's like embarrassed almost about it but, you know like that came from me you know well, that's the it's it's like it's the same way with the synesthesia it's the same kind of thing it's really it's really, you know, the, the knowing is the same thing where you just know, but you didn't know you knew. And, and when you say it, you know, it's kind of embarrassing because it's it's very intimate because I'm telling yeah. you this such a personal thing that nobody else knows about, you know. So it's like I'm telling you this part of myself that's it's it's yeah, it's uncomfortable kind of. Um, yeah. But, you know. Yeah. I well, it. I remember I a bunch of times during the process, I mean, numerous times during the writing of this, you know, you would get really uncomfortable. You know, I remember when, when I made you go through all the paintings with me, I picked out, I think I picked out 117 paintings. We whittled it down to like 92, but, or 88 or something. But anyway, we, I made Chet literally, we did for like twice a week for months, we were doing these interviews on the phone and I would be like, okay. And I'd say the next one, you know, and he, there were some days where you just did not want to do it. You were just <laughs> Hating, I could tell you were just hating it. You were like, "This fucking sucks. Yeah. Like, this is not fun." And then he'd like discover something, and he'd be kind of like at odds with it. And then he he'd send me a text later and be like, "I don't know about that part earlier." And I'd be like, "Dude, it's fine. I'm just taking notes. It's not. We're right. not doing anything with it yet. We're just documenting. That's it." But I remember it was a it was an intimate kind of uncomfortable process for you to to actually kind of purge all that out. Yeah, and also commit to the ideas too. That's the thing. You know, the the ones that were easy were like, oh, for sure I know this. But the ones where it was like, I think it's this, but I'm not 100% sure. And a lot of times that would take just time to settle in. And after a period of time, it would be, or, you know, you'd usually you'd be the sounding board and say, I think that makes, sounds like it makes sense to me. And I would say, yeah, okay. And then we'd let it settle. And then if I came back to it and, and Usually after a period of time, I would I would be able to go, yeah, it's definitely it. Or we'd forget about it, and then it would come up 
a few months later and I'd have it like it was some new idea. Like it was a new idea, yeah. Because <laughs> I completely <laughs> forgot about it. So that was kind of like a uh, a way of vetting it as well, vetting the information yeah. as well. Yeah, totally. No, that, w- that was funny because that would happen. It was almost like it was corroborating itself. Mm, it was yeah, like, don't forget about me. Chad be like, oh, yeah, you know, I had this great idea and it's all about dot, 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 dot. And I'd be like I'd, – I'd literally pull up my notes right <laughs> here on my computer and I'd go to – what is it? Let, let's see if I can find it. I think it's called Zartox. Yeah, Zartox. <laughs> And I'd read him like exactly what I transcribed from when he told me the same idea last time. And it would be like word for word. And you'd be like, oh, my God, that's so weird. I can't believe that. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. That's the perils of working with me and my horrible memory. It doesn't bother me because, again, it was like it's like a litmus test. It just mm-hmm. corroborated that it must be legit if you thought it was a, a fantastic new idea on three different occasions over nine months. You know? Right. So uh, – you know, the, the I, I guess the basic idea of the dystopia book is to lay out this foundation that we can build on top of. Like, uh, you know, nothing – I would never say I'm in any any kind of similar talent or realm of a J.R. Tolkien or whatever. But that's kind of the idea is to have a, a, a world like that, you know, that's, that's all mapped out. And um, that's the other thing is creating a map, which is really weird. And uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm not going to say that about the map, but um, <laughs> <laughs> something I just realized the other day. But uh, yeah, I, so laying, there will be a map, guys. There is a map. Yes. We've already we have mockups, multiple, multiple mockups of it, but it's still not. It's still not. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that's what's all I could say. that's what's so tough about this is the process is so intuitive. The process of the artwork is so intuitive, and the process of you know, discovering the world. It's not creating the world. It's not about coming up with ideas at all. It's not at all like that. That will be probably when we get to the point where we're writing stories about things that happen in that world, because, you know, this world, it's like the world. You can have a million, like movies, movies are little stories about things that happen in the world. It can be like that in dystopia too, where none of them relate to each other, or there's a big overarching storyline that does apply well, and that overarching storyline, as you said, is kind of building intuitively in tandem with this whole right. process anyway. So then the right. vignettes could be whatever. I mean, each painting is a vignette. I and mean, right. Chet will tell me, oh, well, I know what happens in this painting. This guy's like perpetually burying this guy. And he digs this hole and buries this guy. And then, you know, he comes out and then the guy's still there and he has to d- bury him again. And like you just know right. that it's like this loop that's just always happening. You know? Right. So it's 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 difficult in that sense that it's not just like, Oh, the information's all there. Let's just make the book. That's why this is taking so long. Um, and other circumstances are, you know, are creeping in to, to make the process take longer than we had hoped, but it's all working to benefit the project. You know, the longer we have having waited this long to finish it and it's close, it is close to being finished and printed. It it is very close. Uh, but, you know, I was super stressed about the whole thing. As soon as the Kickstarter went, we got to get this thing done. And, um, but it it just, all these different things kind of forced it into not being done yet. And I'm really glad that happened now because so much more has come. The longer we've waited, so much more information has come forth and really important and integral parts to dystopia have come. Core central stuff. So, you know, we appreciate everybody's patience on this book and I think you'll, you'll be happy 
with with the results. We've taken the approach of, you know, trust the universe. You know, it's going to happen when it's right. It's going to be finished when it's right and when everything's there. And, you know, nothing we can do can speed that process up, even though we're trying. So, you know, I've been trying not to sweat it too much. Um, and, and I believe you as well have taken that same approach. So, um, yeah, yeah. you know, we, we know that the, the ultimate uh, proof is going to be in the pudding and, or the proof of the pudding is going to be in the eating or whatever the thing is. So it's the, <laughs> once there's a great book, it's going to be like worth the wait is the, what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I was satisfied just on the 10th edit of it when Chet finally was like, okay, we can start pushing it through an editor. Then I was like, okay, it's cool. Because the thing is, I can always write more. That's not a problem. Writing for me yeah, is a problem. Yeah, you're fast. You know, right. I, yeah, yeah. It's all been on it, me. The, the, the delays are, have all been on me for sure. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, again, I think you already kind of you know uh, put it all in a nutshell. I'm not exonerating myself from anything. I guess what I'm saying is I was just so gratified that I knew that you and I had been working in tandem to try to get it to that stage. And you you would leave it in my hands for long periods of time and I would grind on it, you know, mm -hmm. for months and then I would kick it back. So, you know, we did that. Like I said, that was the 10th, 10th draft when, right. when he finally signed off on it. So I was just really gratified because that means then that, you know, regardless of whether we have to do any fill out or any box copy or anything like that, the, the bottom line is, is that we have the vast majority right. of it done, yeah, ready yeah. to go. Yes. And then we just need to, you know, tweak a few things and solidify a few things. And, here and, and add a few new things. That's one thing right. I want to make yeah, sure yeah. because aside from the it being a field guide, I want it to be a really cool art book. And so I, when I did my black magic book, I purposely left out a lot of paintings because I have a lot of paintings and um, I didn't want to give away like every good painting I have in my first book and then have the next book be kind of filler paintings or whatever. So I left out kind of a lot of good ones. And um, so we'll be able to, you know, it'll be, there'll be some, definitely some older paintings from the black magic book, just because we're talking about these characters, but there's also going to be paintings that weren't in the last book because they, they, you know, they figure into the, the mythology as well, as well as some, new paintings and some new characters, which are really exciting to, to get into as well. Um, so, uh, but, but you know, you do, you, maybe we should get into the, the art show, the dystopia. Yeah, art show. Yeah. Well, I'd cause like that was to, the second yeah. part of this whole thing kind of. Right. Cause the first part was basically we did that Kickstarter where we raised the, the 117 or whatever, which is to do this book. And, and that was all of the things involved in it, you know, aside from just the rewards, but obviously, you know, my part, Chet's part, editor part, designer part, publisher part, distribution, you know, all that stuff. Um, but then we, you know, I, I got to say that the second one, I'm going to take a little credit for leaning on you so hard to do it because Chet really felt uncomfortable about doing the second one. And the reason, and I think yeah, I it's forgot obvious. about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I almost didn't do that. <laughs> the reason that he was so uncomfortable about it was because of course he had just done a Kickstarter and he was all those rewards were hanging over his head and he was like you know i'd rather i mean he chet always wants to do a show the best he can possibly do it and he will do anything he can to achieve that which is i think why ultimately he bit the bullet and did the, the other kickstarter because he knew that it would make it what it had the potential to be but he felt nervous about it for a good deal of time and kept pushing it off and then when when you finally went for it you know we went for it but yeah. i had to lean on you and i think a lot of other people in your explain what this is we're talking about too uh, well, we had done the first Kickstarter and we had finished that and that was For in April book. of 2016 to do the field guide so that we could produce, you know, write and do the artwork and produce and distribute this this uh, book. The second one 
was me basically saying and Chet saying, we want to do a solo show for Dystopia. And we want all of, you know, Chet does his yearly solo shows at Copper Gallery. And so he wanted to do a full Dystopia show, but he wanted to transform the Copper Gallery into Dystopia with full characters and sets and all kinds of stuff. But of course, there's no way we could, you know, he or I or anybody really could afford to do it without raising the money somehow. So I was leaning on him, dude, dude let's do it. People will understand. It'll be worth it. It's for the art. Well, let's do it. And he was like, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but you know. And well, so. the thing that the main thing that sold me is that I, I think we asked kickstarter people because i didn't want to piss off the kickstarter people from the book kickstarter like oh you're doing another kickstarter and you just got a bunch of money for this book and now you're asking for more money that was my main issue i didn't want to uh come across as greedy or or people questioning my my motives or whatever so once the the feedback was overwhelmingly positive about doing the dystopia show so that was that was the clincher that was like okay let's let's go for it. Well, that and Gary, Gary Pressman was, I think, instrumental. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. He leaned on you pretty hard to do it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. There but were I, a lot of people in your life, I think, that were leaning on you to do yeah, it because yeah. they saw what they, they saw what it had, to, you know, the potential. And, and also, again, I mean, I, I understand why you wanted to pull people. And I think that was the responsible and integral thing to do. But nevertheless, I, you know, I, I, I just knew that people wouldn't care <laughs> because they want your art. You know, they'd rather have this amazing show and, you know, then not basically what's the difference. I mean, again, yeah, the money for the book, yeah. to the book and everybody knows that. And then the money for the show would go to the show. But again, you know, things aren't that cut and dried. And so Chet is always more prudent and they, you know, as my dad would like to say, prudence is the better half of valor. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So anyway, I felt, you know, once I got the feedback, it really, that, that was to me, that was the turning point. And when I got the feedback that, that the fans who, especially who donated to the first Kickstarter, were totally cool with me doing another Kickstarter, and um, so yeah, we did that, and and it was successfully, way successfully funded, and we were able to, to do, uh, you know, kind of do a bigger show than the Ego Death show, which is probably my biggest and best show up to that point. Um, as far as the Ego Death show, we turned the gallery into a fun- like a funeral. We turned it was a big funeral for Black Magic, who kind of represented the ego in that show. Um, but this was, you know, we painted the walls all drippy. You've probably, if you guys haven't seen it, uh, look up Chetzar Dystopia. Let's let's, let's just throw gallery. some links. We'll throw some links oh, yeah, on SoundCloud. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll put a bunch of links on there for you guys. I can put some of the video work I did there too. Uh, we could do that cool little thing oh, yeah. with uh, Gallagher playing Black Magic and that's documentarian time lapse I did of the night. Right. We, we can link it link it up for people so they can go check it out. It was really Gar- uh, Larry's stuff. Larry's photography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Larry Underhill, my photographer guy. Yeah, it, he's. It was really, really good. It was really epic and and you know the, our friends from uh, Figment Foundry, which is. Uh, uh, Lee Shamel and um, uh, James and Taylor. Uh, what's their last names? Brown. What? I said Brown. Brown. James and Taylor Brown. Yeah. I was like, Brown! You know, like, <laughs> James, James Brown, yeah. How could I forget James Brown? I don't know. That's why I was like, Brown. And I said it in that It's because my memory's even. horrible. Knock, um, knock, knock. Anyone home chat? <laughs> uh, and their crew was just incredible and made these super cool sets for the outside and part of the set is still up 
and you can go see part of the set. They just kind of kept it because they didn't. They were like, "Where are we going to store this stuff?" And Gary's like, "Leave it up. It looks great." So part of the set is still out in front of Copper, which is really cool. Um, ben Schwank made this amazing tree, this old dead tree, which I ended up, you know, was based on the painting of the Tree of Death from the show. And we had people dress up, and I dressed up as a creeple. And um, we had Black Magic there, and we had an interloper there. Played uh, Black Magic was played by Rick Gallagher, and the interlopers played uh, played by um, Andrew Ward, who's a amazing creature suit guy, also. So it, but it, it was again, it was it was like Ego Death, where everybody I know and fans and everybody just kind of came and helped pitch in, and we just. You know, and, uh, Chris Velasco's score was so oh, awesome. Yeah, too. It was amazing. I mean, that was like for me. I mean, I got to say that was like kind of a big deal because, you know, the whole thing. I was involved in the whole thing. You know, the creation of it, even all the way the night before. You know, making masks and helping on the interloper and all that shit. But man, when that music came on and everything happened at that show, I, it was disturbing to me. And a big <laughs> part of it was the music. So I got to give props to Chris for his music. Yeah, that yeah, really, it was, yeah. It was, it was amazing. We're we're talking. We're going to release that thing, you know, as a CD or something, a limited edition with some artwork because it's so cool. Um, I was going to do the music, and I just I was learning GarageBand, and I didn't, and I was running out of time because I just I knew how it should sound, but I just could not. It, the time was running out, and I finally asked him, and I you know he's kind of like asked me, you know, what do you want it to sound like, and I just basically gave him some parameters and he just completely nailed it a hundred percent and it was like whoa i should just asked him in the first place instead of wanting to micromanage everything but um because i mean i love recording music and stuff so it, it would have been fun but you know he did a way better job than i could have for sure so hopefully that will be released soon because it's really really amazing so we had that thing on a loop blasting and it was it was disturbing and weird <laughs> People, you were saying you saw some people look, look like they were kind of disturbed by the whole oh, thing. Oh, dude, everyone looked disturbed. <laughs> everyone, there was this kind of just like overall sensation of just this dis-ease and unsettling, which is perfect because, I mean, that's what dystopia is, as you guys mm -hmm. will find out once you get the field guide. You know, that that it's so perfect that it, it's so apropos that it went that way because I've been to Copro for a whole handful of shows now, and it's always like fun, live energy. Everybody's all like having a good time. And it wasn't like people weren't having a good time. Yeah, people loved it. it. People were yeah, they it. had a great, but they didn't know what to do with it. I mean, I'm looking at people's faces and they're looking around and kind of, they, you could just tell that it was like unsettling and they didn't know how to <laughs> interface with it. You know, got Rick doing his black magic thing was just mind blowing. Oh, yeah. The guy is yeah. so incredible. He's such an incredible actor. He did not drop character. I mean, he was solid, dude. And people were just, again, they're like, it feels like somehow it's like alternate reality. It's like, you know, it feels like somehow this thing is really happening, even right. though, you know, it's not on the surface because it was so well done, really, yeah. you know, that like it just felt like you really had stepped into a parallel dimension, yeah. you know, and well, it was all like holistic, everything, you know, yeah. the sights and smells and the sounds and the touches and the everything, you know, Yeah, there was garbage all over the floor and dirt <laughs> Yeah, that was so world. cool. And, uh, yeah, and the chat also had me do some videos. That was fun. You had me do the interloper monitors. Yeah, that, yeah, that was amazing. The the visuals you did perfect for that. Um, once we got the color sorted out, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I, I want to mention Jim Beinke, You know, one of my closest friends. He did the uh, created the interloper for me, which is amazing. He just made it out of you know foam and dental dam is really amazing and uh todd waters 
from Junker Designs did uh, Black Magic's coat and his hat, which he had that light up cross in the hat, which was amazing. And uh, yeah, I just wanted, I'm sure I'm going to leave some people out. Gary and Erica were amazing. Erica painted the walls. Yeah, the incredible. The drip. So good. It looked like rust. It just looked like the walls were like steel plates that were just like bleeding rust. It was awesome. It was just perfect. It was so cool. So, so cool. So, yeah. And and lots of people dressed up too. That was the other Mm -hmm. thing that was really fun was we like really encouraged people, you know, come dressed up. Come as your favorite monster. Make up your own monster. Come as a Chetzar painting. And people really did. And that was exciting for me because that was like what I wanted to see. I wanted to see people do their thing. You know what I mean? And I got to make my Mentarian costume and that was fun too. Yeah, that and was a sculpture cool. that doubles as a costume and then was my piece and conjoined. So that was cool. Yeah, that was super cool. Your costume was amazing. I have it in my studio. I got a. Is it another reason I should come out to visit you so I could give? Well, I don't know how I'd, unless I drove or something. Because uh, that's a yeah, I, I have that thing in my studio because there's no space for it anywhere. It's kind of big. I'm trying to get Chet to to come out here as soon as he finishes up these next couple things he's got hanging over his head. If he make him come out here and uh, visit me yeah, because we'll see we that. always end up making a lot of, you know, especially now with, again, to talk about dystopia, right. you know, when, when Chet and I connect together, which we only get to do about once a year these days versus when I was making the documentary, we actually get a lot done, you know? So we, we normally actually are much more functional, I think during that period, because we, it's like we get into this hotbed, you know, of just mm-hmm. like grinding on this idea and we'll just grind and grind and grind until we feel like we've done it, you know? Yeah. So yeah, come out here. Yep. I want to. It'd be a bring nice him, bring me my trip. sculpture. Damn, no one wanted to buy it. Fuckers. <laughs> no, I'm just. <laughs> it's funny because I keep doing these sculptures that I don't want to sell, and it's like because I, I really actually want to keep it myself, you know. So it's like I, I'll make it and then I'll put it. I'll put a price on it that I know no one will pay. <laughs> I don't. <have> <laughs> no, your price like I'm is sabotaging myself. No, your so price funny. is reasonable. I would say something if it's too high. If it's if it was too well, high, it's just you know it's. <laughs> It's just, uh, you know, you got prohibit given that, you know, I, for me anyway, I look at, but then again, I made it and I'm jaded and I don't really have any real, I I'm, it's so, so uh, subjective. I have no objectivity when it comes to what I make at all. So, yeah, you gotta, you gotta, there's a whole thing about selling art, which is, you know, another podcast, I guess we should do, but, uh, you got, you have to establish people, you know, a lot of people won't buy unless they see that you have, you, you're, you've been selling, you know, there's a whole established kind of thing. Well, that's the thing is I wouldn't even be doing it if you weren't inviting me to go to the show. So it's just fun because I'm just – it gives me a reason to make something. And yeah. then I end up really liking and being attached to the things I make. So, yeah. So, yeah, it was – the show was great. It was amazing. And uh, it was – you know, it was cool also. <clears throat> An unintended consequence of that show was that it really helped inform the book as well because it was like we had a chance to actually – create the environment and then walk around at it and see how it felt, you know? So it really confirmed a lot of, um, a lot of what we already knew, but it also, you know, gave me confirmations of things. Maybe I wasn't so sure about like seeing Rick Gallagher, um, in his portrayal of black magic really firmed up the, the, kind of guy he is the kind of being that black magic is you know that kind of autistic almost but you know highly intelligent autistic weird thinking kind of being you know spiritually advanced maybe but also with this 
you know, back negative background that he has, kind of this assassin background, and and just I just think it, 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 Black Magic came to life at that show for me there, mm-hmm. seeing him. Walk well, the magic, the magic there is that you didn't even tell him what to, you know, I what know. to do. It was insane. He, that it was, was all natural. That was just him channeling. So again, if ever there was a corroboration that there's something that ha, you right. know has some uniformity to it that's being channeled, th- that was just yet another you know corroboration. Yeah, yeah. And it was this. Rick and I have when it comes to these characters, he he portrays for me. We have definitely some kind of he's keyed in to to it somehow you know and so it's the same way with the when he was the undertaker the at the ego dust show because the idea i had for the undertaker was you know it should be i love these old horror hosts that used to do the cheesy horror uh horror movies um, when i was growing up it was the guy he's super obscure but he was uh um his name was Fr- uh grimsley it was called fright night with grimsley this was in the probably the late seventies, early eighties, or something, and that was my guy, Fright Night with Grimsley. Um, a lot of people <clears throat> on the East Coast. There was there was Svengooly, I think, and Seymour. Uh, you know, every every town local station had their little horror host, and they'd play those cheesy horror movies. So I thought the Undertaker should be like, you know, a fun, cool horror host because there's also a bunch of really shitty horror hosts especially nowadays uh, that are just like the makeup's horrible and their whole thing is horrible but grimsley was amazing because he had a really i I actually tracked down a book of horror hosts to find out about grimsley and it's it's uh i forgot the name of the book but i was able to read his story and he was really amazing he was really like a super smart guy um was that the one that you were showing me at your house that had that had the little dr- dragon puppet in the film reel thing? Remember that? And I said it was a miniature. I know you won't forget that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that. Who was that? Yeah, host? that. Was yeah, that? I don't know. No, I don't. That was something different. Because that, that was, was before the Barnstall opening of Ego Death. That, right. I, I I remember that very specifically. Might, that was October twelfth, two thousand thirteen. Yeah, it might have been related. I don't remember what the what that video was though. But anyway, anyway, so anyway, the point being was that I was, you know, I kind of described the horror host thing and he just completely nailed it right off the bat. No notes, nothing. And the same with Black Magic. You know, he just got that from what little I told him about the character and looking at the artwork and he just nailed it. He embodied yep. Black Magic. It was perfect. It was perfect. Like when he goes- I mean, I remember one of those key moments for you is you telling me like when he when he you know went up to the monitor and took his gun and aimed it at the monitor screen yeah. like that just struck you as so like perfectly perfect. black totally. magic. Yeah, totally perfect. It's totally something black magic would do. It is amazing. Yeah, like think that he could shoot something through the screen somehow, or, but then yeah. realizing, but also realizing no, he couldn't, and like it's this weird paradoxical right, kind of right. behavior. Right. 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 Yeah. Well, you know, that was I, I was bummed a little bit because the next day the set was still up. So we went out there at, at dusk, basically, and just shot for fun. We just did some experimental shooting, Rick wandering around, and I just followed him around and shot him. And then I edited it down. But anyway, on the way back the next day, we dr- were driving up through the San Bernardino Mountains headed up towards uh, uh, Barstow. And it was like the most 
temporal day. It was like the mountains and there had been a fire recently. So it was all burned Mm -hmm. and there was all this mist and like all these clouds that were forming in the crevices of the mountain. And it was so dystopia. I just literally almost wanted to call you up and be like, dude, get a hold of Rick Gallagher. I'm turning around and coming back. (laughs) Get that fucking costume. We're going out in the mountains in the wastelands for like today. I'll go back tomorrow because we got to use this now while it's here, you know, but of course I didn't. I kept driving, but it was like killing me. I'm driving along looking at like, could there be a better day? And just the day before, here he was in costume. You know what I mean? And it just would have been so cool to do some shooting out in a real natural, you know, post-apocalyptic looking barren landscape. With right. That. Oh, man. God. Dystopia is everywhere. Yeah. What? Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I want to give away one detail. Uh, and if you don't want me to, then we can cut it out, I guess. But I'm going to do it anyway. Right. Um so as you guys may or may not remember, I mentioned before in a previous podcast that I was really attracted to and one of the first paintings I saw from Chet was Pipe Dream because I have seen that being in uh, you know in my um, uh, my travels <laughs> for lack of a better term. And Chet told me, of course, Pipe Dream I chose. I was like, I want to know about Pipe Dream, you know. So he starts telling me about Pipe Dream. And what I found out is that Pipe Dream is like an ancient giant. Basically, he's like the last of a race of these giants. And he's been buried in the ground up to his head. So like that was just such – that was such a cool revelation because – for me anyway because I've only pictured it as the big head when I've gone into my dream world and seen it. And so I had no idea it had a whole body underneath the ground. And it's basically like almost in – like a hibernation state. And then the other thing that is kind of cool about it is it's actually in the the oracle category because you put something in its pipe and light it and it smokes it and then it will give you information like an oracle. So you like (laughs) – scry it by loading its pipe it's just so like <laughs> chet didn't even like i can tell he didn't make any of it up because he was like tripped out while he was telling me about it you know but that was for me like a really cool aha and so once you once the field guides out and you guys get your hands on it you're gonna just be having like one after another after another after another it's so cool yeah i don't feel like i made any of it up that's the weird part it's just like it, it really does i mean that's the the thing that bodes well for your theory that it's a real place is that i really don't feel like i made any of it up it's 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 still weird to talk about but it um it just is the way it is and you know there's a truth to it and and we were just, we just went to went through um and tried to discover what the truth about the paintings were so we could share them um uh, one other thing i wanted to talk about was the possibility of uh the future of dystopia just real quick cuz we're we're getting we're, we're at an hour now but um yeah. uh you know the the idea, maybe, maybe not. I, I'm the, the one cool thing about this is I, for me, is that I am happy to follow dystopia wherever it goes, and if it doesn't go anything past the book, I'm totally fine with that. I'm super happy just painting. I'd be happy painting the rest of my life. I don't have this like, I gotta make this movie, or my life won't be complete. <laughs> I really feel like, you know, I, I'm. I'm totally cool with however it goes. I want to just follow it the way it should go. And but um you know of course there's a, this fantasy which would be cool. Uh, I'm not desperate for it, but it would be cool to see the dystopia movie, you know, a big film. Um uh, but really with with the the popularity of these um you know uh non-network shows like netflix shows and amazon shows yeah, and stranger things and yeah, breaking bad exactly stuff like that um 
uh, it, the idea of a, a TV show or a, you know, some kind of TV show that's not a network show because I, I can't imagine anything ever like that cool being on network TV, but <laughs> a, a TV show like The Walking Dead or Stranger Things or whatever would be, to me, would be super amazing. It would be the coolest, the coolest. I think it would be cooler than a movie. But I, think I do you, too. I think you could also do both though. Um, yeah. But – but um, but also like dude, virtual reality, dystopia mm-hmm. world. Because once we have the field guide, and this is only by the way, guys, this is volume one. So we we uh, allow for the fact that there's a great deal more for us to discover, and there's a lot of uncharted aspects of dystopia. But what if we got enough of it, and 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 the technology got far enough that you could have this virtual experience and go into this world of dystopia and interact with these beings based upon the guidelines that we've discovered through That's the field a, guide. Yeah. That's that what I'd so want to do. I would want to do that. I would totally want to do that. <laughs> um, but one of the ideas was, uh, you know, since we've been thinking about the movie and the TV show and stuff and something like, a, you know, what the Stranger Things guys pitched that project 15 times and got turned down. And, you know, something. this is a hard sell. It's not a commercial idea. So I don't expect to get necessarily get any kind of love from any corporate entities, but I'm open to it. You know, if it happens, sure, of course. But, um, uh, I'm, like I said, I'm open to following it wherever it goes. But, um, I, I, one idea that we had was, you know, we, we spoke about this a little bit before is, is, um, financing it ourselves through a Kickstarter and making a movie. But the thing that, that, uh, I really like, and I've, I've mentioned this probably in, in the pitch videos for the Kickstarter as well would be to do, you know, short stories from dystopia on the web, like a web series. And I've never really watched a web series myself, but I, you know, I understand the idea. And I think there's been a lot of shows that have turned into shows like girls, I think was a web series and then it turned into an HBO show. Um, but I was thinking, uh, kickstarting a web series for dystopia two, which would be super cool. And I was thinking they could be five minute stories. They don't have to be part of the overall arc of the main story. If there is a main story, they could be just little tidbits, little snippets, as long as they're good stories and have a beginning, middle and end. Um, kind of like, uh, uh, what's that? at high maintenance there's a story about that weed delivery guy it's on hbo now that started as a web series also and and got became an hbo show and it's just like this guy who's a pot delivery guy in new york and the people the weird people he encounters when he delivers weed and that's that's it it's really it's i like it it's, it's pretty good um it's kind of hipstery but still it's good um <laughs> but uh the older i get the more i realize that it's not a lot of the stuff I think is hipstery is actually just people that are not in my age group and I'm just old and yeah, <laughs> out, right. out of the loop. Um, now, what's more hipster than making a new word called hipstery out of the word <laughs> hipster? That's as hipster as it gets, motherfucker. <laughs> anyway, so I was thinking, um, you know, short web movies or videos, you know, and you and it would be so cool because you could do – you could pick a painting – and that would be the concept for the sh- the the story. You know, is somewhere in that video would be the painting realized physically, whether it yeah. opens 
on the painting or it opens on the scene in the painting and goes from there. Or at some point in the story, it lines up and you actually have a shot framed like the painting. painting. Yeah. Yeah. And then, totally. and then that would be the title of the show of, of each episode would be the title of the painting. I think it'd be so cool. Be awesome. And, and, and that would be doable um, with limited resources, like doing a Kickstarter and, you know, getting, getting a crew together and shooting these short films, short videos for, for the web, you know, YouTube, uh, series or whatever. And well, and that's where the, you know, the dark art society comes in to pull it all the way back around because, right. you know, the whole idea is this place for people to come together. And so it, in the event that we were going that direction, we'd certainly be looking to the dark art society people for talent, you know, for, right. because building a crew, well, how do you build a crew? Right. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. There's that's the thing is especially with my um that, that's that's kind of why a movie TV series makes a lot of sense for this project is because I have this background in the film industry. So I know costumers, I know makeup people, I know camera people, I know everybody who's done everything in film. So I'm very connected to that world even though I don't work in it anymore. So, you know, that that there, there's so many people that would be into a project like this that I think um you know, it could look really good and it could be really professional and and it would be kind of easy to do. So that's just one idea that I'm really kind of psyched about, but we got to get, no, the- I'm, you know what I'm psyched about a game and yeah, I know that's just yeah. another tangent, but nevertheless, yeah. cause I'm, you know, I'm, I grew up playing w- when I was real little dungeons and dragons and yeah. then I got into magic and all of that stuff. So like, God, the idea of having a dystopia, a Chetzar dystopia game, dude, how cool would that be? Like you pull <laughs> out your, you know, pull out your fucking heart eater card and you're just like, wham, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever, you know, no, having modules and little, little figurines, dude, it just like, oh, it nerds me out. I, I don't get nerded out that <laughs> it's true it's true uh a video game you know there's just it's there's so much to build on that's why possibilities what's that i said endless possibilities yeah there's so many comic books there's just so there's so far to go with this so i that's why we started with a field guide volume one right yeah (laughs) it's all the basis so it's you know again it's taking a little time but it's the foundation for what could be this huge 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 thing so, um, yeah, so, uh, we're stoked about it. And, um, well, thanks to our backers again, you guys, because really ultimately we would definitely not be anywhere near where we are now. Were it not for all, all, all the money support, all the sharing, all the comments, all mm-hmm. the effort, you know, cause people put in so much effort on our behalf and, and we just, we will never forget it. I mean, I, I certainly, that's the first time I've ever been paid to write a book. I've been writing for a long time and that was pretty exciting. That was like a benchmark for me. Like, woohoo. I got yep. paid to write a book and I had fun doing it. And it was about subject material that I'm passionate about. Like, you know, at, in that moment, I was definitely like, right on. This is, I'm okay with this, <laughs> you know? So yeah, again, yeah. it's all because of you guys. It's all because you guys took the time and energy to focus and help and drop money or energy or whatever. So we just, we, we can't thank you guys enough. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I always tell artists, you know, you should cherish your collectors and fans because really without people to, show your work to people that support you, you really, you know, you can just be some guy in a room that nobody gives a shit about. You know, it really is. It's a symbiotic relationship. The, well, it's like the, that magical universe thing, you know, and that's why that's such a good documentary. Isn't that what it's called? Magical universe. Mm-hmm. 
because that guy, that's that he is that guy, you right. know, he's this guy is this amazing being who's just shut off in a house doing right. it all by himself and nobody in the whole world knows. And if it weren't for that guy, sure. nobody probably would have ever found out. Yeah, Jeremy Workman. If yeah, it weren't for him. So I just think that's so cool. But that's what you're saying right there is that those people do exist. Right. You could be that person if you want to be. That's fine. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, we're, we're the kind of guys that are saying, well, you know, we don't want to be that guy. And if you're listening to this, you probably don't either. Yeah. But if you do, right on. You know, that's just not, we're not judging that. That's cool. Do your oh, own yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but Chad but, and I want Chad and I want to make more money so we can make better projects and do better art. <laughs> like that's it. Yeah, yeah, and you know it's I well the point being is just that you know you can't do it alone um, unless you're independently wealthy and most people aren't and um, <clears throat> it's all about community now with uh, social networking and Kickstarter and stuff like that and so uh, artists should that is the you know your supporters are your that's that's where the value is, you know. That's that's that, you, your your supporters are are the most important thing. They're as important as the artwork. I will say that they're as important as the artwork in my mind. Oh, yeah, yeah. So for sure. that's uh, why I always try to uh, you know treat fans and collectors and supporters well and offer them you know uh, as much of myself as I can through posting things online and sharing the process and sharing information and stuff like that, because, uh, we, uh, we need each other, I guess, maybe, you yep. know, I would say so. So it's, well, Hey, since we're getting to the wrap up here, it seems like, yes. um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to do a little self promotion here. Speaking of helping a brother out guys, if you don't know or not, you haven't noticed yet, you guys should head over to soundcloud.com and check out emails from infinity interruption one. It's the eight minutes and 36 seconds this is the first section of my first episode of my first independent podcast based on a book that I wrote called emails from infinity. It debuts a week from tomorrow but for you guys that will be three no two days after this this podcast when you're listening to this it'll be friday may 5th so two days later the first emails from infinity comes out and that is soundcloud.com forward slash emails from infinity and that is me reading this book that i wrote and i'm scoring it and doing sound uh sound effects for it uh brian kilgore is also doing some mixing and mastering which he's been doing for us on the uh, dark art society podcast here and I've also uh, set up a Patreon for it. So if you guys go to patreon.com forward slash emails from infinity, you can be a patron and help support the production. It's going to cost about $4,000 to make, and I'm looking to try to earn about five fifty a month. So that's the end of my advertising. Thanks, guys. I appreciate your support. I'm trying to build a build a fan base myself here. I'm not Chet Czar. I'm Mike Carell. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, and it's great. Emails from Infinity is super cool. So um, I'm looking forward to that myself. So uh, I guess let's just wrap it up and say thank you for the support. Thank you for listening. And please give us your likes, comments, and shares. They're really helpful. I'm still every day. It's funny. I'm getting people writing me every day telling me how much they love the podcast. And then I'm getting – the same amount of people I'm encountering online that have no idea that we have a podcast. So, <laughs> right. so uh, since we're new, any any support you can give as far as sharing or, or, or liking on SoundCloud, YouTube, whatever, anything you do to, to share that support is going to help us get the word out. And we really are, um, you know, this is a resource for all of us that uh, we're hoping to build a community around. So, um, you know, you're you're not doing it just for us; you're doing it for you and and the. the 
bigger this thing grows, the more we all will benefit from it, I believe. And that's, that's the idea we have and I'm, yeah. we're hoping for. Yeah. So, um, they, uh, you can also, if you want to uh, support, uh, the, this podcast by buying stuff from my website. Um, you can get it, get there from chetzar.com in the store section or go chetzar.bigcartel.com. Any little things you buy, like the documentary, you can get prints and all that. Help support this podcast because at this point I'm paying for the hosting and stuff. So um, uh, that would be cool. Uh, if not, like I said, shares and likes and all that. Also, really uh, cool. ratings and reviews. Guys, yeah. if you guys... Uh, oh, I think someone must be here. Uh <laughs> If you guys can especially review us on iTunes, that helps keep us up in the charts and then people can find us easier. So we really do appreciate it. Yes. And yeah. Well, tune in every Wednesday for us, guys, at Dark Art Society Podcast. You can find us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, PodBay, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. And thank you so much for listening. And that's about it, I guess. All right. Take care, brothers and sisters. See you next time. Bye-bye.